Would you turn with me today to James chapter 3? We're going to continue looking. We're possibly going to close James chapter 3 today. If you've been here, you know that's a possible. But we're, we've been making our way through this idea that our faith works in our lives, that what we believe about God truly changes who we are. It really, really should. I mean, it impacts every part of our being because um, God is in control of these things. And if we know the Lord is our Savior, He has given us the power through His Holy Spirit to work out that salvation. As Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. And we find there a necessary and comfort, you know, comforting tension of what the gospel is. We are responsible, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, we are responsible to discipline ourselves, to submit ourselves to the things of God. Jesus says in John 14, if you love me, keep my commandments. However, we also understand that it is God who gives us the, the, the power and the desire to do those things. And so in our lives, um, if we should be feeling in our lives, the, the conviction of God, the, the, the drawing of God towards these things. And, and that's not a bad thing. That's actually a very good thing. Now, it isn't always comfortable. And honestly, the closer you get to God, the more horrible your sin becomes. That's the way it should work. And, and the gospel is a call to new life. It is a call to forsake our sin, and it is a call to be convicted over our sin, but it is also not a call that we wallow in our sin, and that we say, oh, woe is me, I'm just never going to be perfect. You know what, on this side of eternity, we're not. You're absolutely right. But on this side of eternity, we have God continuing to grow us. And so it's, it is a necessary tension in our Christian walk. And so as we look at the book of James, we see very practically these things that James calls us to do. And, and I guess this is, this is where this comes from this morning. I, I love James, and I love how practical it is. I just like practical instruction. But if you're not careful, I think in the book of James, it becomes a, okay, do this and do this and do this and do this and do this, and that'll make you a good little Christian that God loves, and you'll be, you'll be happy. You never lose sight of what James, I mean, he, where, where he's coming from. You can't lose sight from the fact that he's coming from. You are someone who is saved by the grace of God. And if we just go through the motions without the grace of God, or we impose on ourselves these things we must do, then we get away from the core of this. We do it because we've been changed. And we do it with the strength of God. And so... Um, obviously, James comes for, he comes at it from that angle. We saw in James chapter 1 um, that, that we are saved through the word of God. And now he, he kind of circles back around here at the end of chapter 3. And, and, and what, we, what we get here is some internalization of that truth. And that's so vital for our, for our Christian walk. We have to have the truth of God internalized in our hearts and applied to our lives that we can do these things. And sometimes... Doing the things of God does feel more like doing than 
than other times. Because there are some days, I don't know, maybe it's just me. You wake up and you don't feel very Christian. Anybody else ever had that experience? What do you do in that moment? You do what God has called you to do. Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, old man, what is good. And what does the Lord desire of you but to love, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You go to the word of God. You, you do the things of God. And you, say, you cry out to the Lord, Lord, I'm struggling today. God, I need help today. And it's not that we don't need God's help on every day, but some days we feel it more than others. Does that make sense? And, and so that's, the, that's part of the necessary tension of who we are and of what, what James is talking about. So all of that to say this, James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that's from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power it has in our lives. Thank you that you show us through your word what is wrong, what is right, how we can make right our wrong with you, and how we can keep it right living for you. Thank you that all scripture has been given by inspiration of God, and that it is all profitable to this end. Lord, we ask that you would use that word in our hearts today, that you would speak to us, that you would draw us to yourself. Lord, I pray that you would reach into the heart and soul of one who may be here today who does not know you as Savior and show them they do not have to live in the hopelessness of their sin, but they can find hope in the gospel. Lord, I pray for Christians who hear this message today that you would help us and challenge us to these things that, Lord, in our own lives, we sometimes go back into the old patterns of our flesh and we give in to the worldly wisdom and we live in a way that is hypocritical to who we are. Would you convict us of that? Would you draw us closer to yourself? Lord, it's um, not something we want to say lightly because if we truly ask you to make us more like Christ and to get rid of sin, you'll do it. We ask that you would help us to be willing to say those things and to live for you. In your name we pray, amen. So there's a difference between going through the motions and doing what you're told and internalizing truth to help you practice what it entails on a regular basis. There's there's a huge gap there. And this is the only example I could think of when I was thinking about the difference there. Okay, So take, for example, my kids and their toothbrushing habits. Okay? Listen, pray for your pastor's kids. They, 
I try not to trot out the negative, but, um, that, you know, this is, this is the life that they live sometimes. So you can ask him today about this. Every morning and every evening in our home is the same question that, get, we, that gets asked. Did you brush your teeth? And, and some of you moms are nodding, right? We've asked that question a bajillion times, right? Sometimes there's a positive reaction. Many times there's this sheepish look of, oops, right? And back up the stairs they go to load the toothbrushes with that awesome bubblegum toothpaste that I don't know why it's only for kids. And they brush their teeth. My children understand their job is to brush their teeth. Why? Because mom and dad told them to do it. They don't fully grasp the internal truth of, preser- of protecting and preserving their pearly whites for later in life. Now, one day, I hope they grasp the, and, and internalize that truth. You say, well, that was kind of a silly example. Yeah, it is. But we all have, most of us here have teeth and we want to keep them, right? But see, here's the parallel. The same is true in our Christian walk. There is a huge difference between carrying on in right actions, just doing what you're told to do, and internalizing God's truth. One of them is just conform to the outward standard and make people happy. And the other one is actually listening to what God says and applying it to your heart and it changing your life. One of them is knowledge and, 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 okay, I'll do that. The other one is wisdom. Hearing and applying the word of God. Action is informed by the heart. And if you have a heart that says, well, I just want to stay out of trouble, or I just want people to think I'm a good person, or I just want to do what's best for me in the moment, then sure, you might obey some of the things that God has put forward, even in a letter such as James. But if you truly have a heart that wants to be close to God and be like him because you've been redeemed by Jesus Christ, then it comes from internalizing the truth of God's word and him applying it to your life, you say, yeah, that's, I need to do that. Well, why do you need to do that? Because, because God said to do that, and because I want to live in a way that honors him. And this, this, the lens by which you view life colors everything you do in life. And so here, James deals with this with a word on wisdom. If our perspective is limited to the here and now, then our actions will reflect that. Our decisions that we make on a daily basis will be consumed with pleasing ourselves in the moment instead of looking ahead to the future, both in this life and the life to come. And what we see is that godly wisdom is crucial for godly living. My heart attitudes and outward actions reveal where my wisdom lies. You cannot live a godly life without godly wisdom in your heart. And you cannot truly know, no one else can truly know what it is you live by, only, it's only between you and God. And so James here calls for us to 
check ourselves against the Word of God and to not just go through the motions, but to internalize the truth of God that we may live in the wisdom of God. And so let's look today, we'll, we'll break apart this idea of, of the proof of wisdom and the two different types of wisdom that talks through. So in verse 13, we see wisdom's proof in our lives. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. And so before we even get started, we must understand there is a necessity for wisdom in our lives. Now, James, back in James chapter 1, verse 5, has already stated that there, there is a need for wisdom in our lives. And he talked about that specifically when we were going through trials. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it will be given him. Throughout Scripture, there is great and incredible value that's placed on wisdom. And so if you want to live an effective, victorious life for God, you need his wisdom. Proverbs 4, verse 7. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. But understand this. Wisdom is far more than the accumulation of facts and knowledge. You can gather all the facts in the world and still be a fool in the eyes of God. Some of the greatest fools in history have had vast amounts of knowledge. In fact, the wisest man who ever lived spent a good portion of his life acting as a fool. That man, of course, is the, is the man King Solomon. Solomon, who was David's king, when he became king, he was the king who had it all. His kingdom was one that came in with peace and prosperity. David, his father, had settled the issue of peace. He had, he had, he had subjugated all of the enemies of the nation of Israel with God's help. And now they were enjoying a wonderful time in that nation of, of rest from war with their enemies. But they were then also enjoying the wonderful opportunity of, of much uh, gold and other things flowing into the land of Israel. And so when Solomon becomes king, he is the king literally who has everything that a king would want. And at the beginning of Solomon's reign, God appears to Solomon and says, what is it that you want? Whatever it is, I will give to you. And what does Solomon ask for? He asks for wisdom that he may govern God's people. What incredible foresight, what incredible heart for the Lord. And you know what? That's exactly what God gave him. And more. God not only gave him the wisdom to govern the people of God, he also gave him the riches, he also gave him the peace, he also gave him all of these things that a king would want, because when we seek the Lord, we find there more than we could ever hope to find. And so Solomon enjoyed a prosperous reign and he did many wonderful things for God. In, in fact, if you were to study in First, first Kings um, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, right in that area, you would see one of the greatest things Solomon ever did in his reign is he built the temple for the worship of the Lord. And that's an, an incredible place. And much of Solomon's wisdom, 
he recorded in a book we know as Proverbs. But the king who had everything was soon distracted by his pursuits of all things. Solomon gave his life away chasing the things of this world. See, here's what happened. Anything and everything that his heart or his flesh desired, he began to acquire. Because there was no one who could tell Solomon he couldn't have it. If it was a matter of money, he had it. If it was a matter of power, he had it. If it was a matter of someone's going to tell him no, you're not going to tell King Solomon no. Because he has what? Money and power. And when you open the book of Ecclesiastes, you find a man... In Solomon, who has denied himself nothing and chased the wisdom of this world. I just want you to listen here as we read Ecclesiastes 1, verses 16 through 18. Solomon writes, I communed with my heart, saying, Look, I have attained greatness and have gained more wisdom than all who were before me in Jerusalem. My heart has understood great wisdom and knowledge, and I set my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is grasping for the wind, for in much wisdom is much grief, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. The words of Ecclesiastes, much much of the words of Ecclesiastes are of a man who has pursued everything in life And found no fulfillment. Because there is no fulfillment outside of God. Without true wisdom, it is impossible to make sense of this life and truly enjoy the goodness of God. So what is wisdom? Wisdom is taking the knowledge that you have and doing something with it. Applying it to your life. So applying knowledge of God leads to living for God. And that application leads to life change that's seen in the proof of your life, that's seen in wisdom's proof. And James talks about that here in in verse 13. He says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show. So James calls, first of all, for those within the church to examine themselves once again. And, And let's just understand that that is essential for our Christian growth. If we are going to grow and change for the Lord, if we are truly going to become like Jesus Christ and we are truly going to make an impact on the lives of other people around us, then we must submit ourselves to examination before the King of Kings. We, you, me, anybody else, we can spend our lives looking around, saying, well, so-and-so really needs to change. Well, such-and-such is really not doing what they're supposed to do. Well, I'm really better than... That is not our job. Our job is not to change other people. Our job is to come before the Lord and ask Him to change us. And that's what James is talking about here. When he says, who is wise and understanding among you, he is calling for accountability. To understand that you and I are not the Holy Spirit in the life of another person. That you and I are not the judge and the jury on another person's life. That it's you and God and nothing else. 
That's true for your eternity, and that's true for your sanctification. When it comes down to it, at the end of your life, when you, when you leave this earth, because as, as Paul says, is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. When it comes down to it, God doesn't look at you and say, are you better than someone else? He says, do you know, the Lord, do you know my son, Jesus Christ, as your Savior? Have you humbly accepted the gift of salvation? And Christian, when it comes down to it, and you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, not, not to be judged whether or not you're going to enter heaven, but to be judged on the things in 1 Corinthians 3, where Paul writes about to be judged on the things that we do in this life. It's not, hey, did you do better than your husband? Hey, did you do better than your neighbor? Hey, did you do better than the person who sits on the back row of your church? It's, and there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. It's, it's how did you do with what I said? People are not the standard. God is the standard. Now, is it true that God may use us to minister to others and to challenge them spiritually? Absolutely. And and you know what? I pray he does. I pray that God continues to use us to challenge one another spiritually. As Solomon would write in Proverbs, iron sharpeneth iron, so, the man, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. We need Christian brothers and sisters in Christ who will call us into accountability for the things of God. It takes a relationship, right? It takes those things working together. And we should be willing to open ourselves up to accountability of fellow believers that we may be changed in growth. But we must remember one, who, are we, who we are responsible for, and two, who we are responsible to. I am not responsible for someone else's Christian growth, nor am I responsible to another person for my Christian growth. That's between me and God. And again, may God bring people along our paths who have a, have a genuine interest in who we are and what we're doing. James is calling for listeners to discern in their own lives the extent of wisdom's effects. He says, who is that wise understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. What is James saying here? James is saying that if you consider yourself to be wise in the things of God, if you truly consider, you say, I want to be one who, who is applying the things of God, who God is using the Holy Spirit to bring these things to life in my life, and, and who is calling out sin, and I, I want to be one who is becoming more like him, then we should be seeing those things worked out. If you think you have understanding, if you think you have wisdom, here's how to tell. And the word understanding here actually is a different word. It means specialized knowledge built up over time. As the wisdom of God impacts our lives, it should begin to lead to these things that are worked out in our lives. So wisdom must be proven out in our actions. How does James say that we show it? Let him show it, let him show by good conduct. This word for good conduct means a lifestyle that reflects inward, honorable character. And that can only come through a knowledge of God. It can all, it's the idea of righteous living. We cannot live righteously. We, we cannot ever hope to live in a way that would reflect 
the character and the honor of our Lord Jesus Christ unless inwardly God is applying the things of his word. Unless inwardly we are asking God to continue to change us. Second, it's, it's shown in the works that come out of that good conduct. He says, um, going on in verse 13, works that are done in the meekness of wisdom. The activities and the endeavors that a Christian is involved in should be which, that which reflects the character of God. So the things that you allow into your life, the things that you do with your life, the things that you embrace by who you are should be that which reflects the character of God. That which would not call into question that which you say you are. And James says, lastly, these good deeds shown from a lifestyle reflecting the goodness of God should be done in the meekness of wisdom. This word you have translated here as meekness is sometimes translated gentleness. Meekness carries the idea not of weakness, but of power under control. See, wisdom helps us to temper our living so that we can live controlled by the Spirit of God. And you know who is the ultimate example of meekness is the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus, 100% God and 100% man, walked this earth, did he say hard things? Yeah. Did he say hard things? truth to people who needed to hear the truth. He did all the time. Jesus delivered these things, though, in meekness, in love. The opposite of meekness is to live bitterly, self-seeking, and self-promoting. Meekness means to submit ourselves to the Lord and his rule in our lives. This is the proof of true wisdom in our hearts and lives. If we do not see these things, if we do not see that we are, that we are living in a way reflecting the character of God, that we are carrying out these things that would honor and glorify him, and we do not see ourselves submitting to him and living in his meekness, we are not living according to God's wisdom. And so with that, James launches into this, two types of wisdom that we see. And there are only two sides. There's worldly wisdom and there's wisdom that comes from God. And we're either living according to the wisdom of this world or we're living according to the wisdom of God. And sometimes, probably more times than we care to admit, we waffle on that a little bit. Right? We don't, we, we, we're trying to please the Lord, we try to do this, and something happens and we respond in our flesh. And we give in to what the world would tell us to do. We give in to our sin, our sin. And so James begins to unpack here in verse 14 the motivations behind this worldly wisdom. He says, but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, Do not boast and lie against the truth. Wisdom, as we said, always affects how you live. And so if you're not applying the word of God to your life, it will show. And just as godly wisdom has outward manifestations, so does worldly wisdom. Because this is 
wisdom based on man's own understandings. It's applying things to the here and now and how it affects me. It's not living in light of God's word, but living according to oneself. And when this happens, we see how then it begins to work out in our own hearts. It's motivated by, by several things. These all, James says, these, all of these things here in verse 14, these all come from the heart. And we hear that word in scripture. We, we hear, especially in the New Testament, you know, talking about the heart of man. What is the heart? Well, it's not this thing in your chest that's, that's beating, okay? The heart is the seat of our belief and unbelief. It is the origin of those things. Really, I, the better way to put it is the seat of faith. It represents the core being of a person. And so what we are in our core comes out in our lives, and there is a wisdom that comes from this world that's consumed with the present realities. It is applying the things that we know to make the decision that's best for me in that moment. Because just as we can apply the truth of God's word, we can take God's word and we can apply it to our lives and we say, okay, that's, this is how God wants me to live for him with this. We can also look around and see the things that are going on and say, okay, this is how I need to live for me right now to make sure I get what I want. To make sure I to accomplish this, that's living in, in the wisdom of this world. So what do we find in this heart? Well, within the heart of one consumed with worldly wisdom, we find first bitter envy. This word envy is sometimes translated jealousy, and it's the idea of having negative feelings of rivalry against others. You know, in the core of man, just, just man in general, mankind in general, there is a desire and a longing to be right and to be best. We all want to be right, right? Okay, stop elbowing your husbands, okay? We all want to be best. And, and in our core, when we're not in our sin, then we're jealous and we're envious of those other people who are. The possessions, the experiences, the life circumstances of others, they easily consume us. And so it begins to motivate our, this worldly wisdom because we begin to apply all that we have to be better than other people. We begin to apply everything that we are and everything that we know to say, well, I want to experience this. I want to have that. I want this to be true in my life. What do we think will happen? Well, that's going to make me happy. That's going to make me fulfilled. But you know what you don't find there? You don't find joy or contentment or true happiness. What does James says, say it produces? Not just envy, but bitter envy. It produces bitterness. This word for bitter comes from a Greek word that means that, that which is sharp. When we long to be better than others, or we wish to have in our lives what they have, we will feel bitterness of heart and bitterness of soul against them. Have you ever, within your own heart, just had someone you could not stand because of who they were? And as you begin to unpack and begin to examine those feelings, you begin to realize 
It's because of what they had. It's because of what they were that you didn't have or because of what you weren't. It comes down to why am I bitter and why am I so angry and why am I so jealous against that person? It's because they have what I want. They are what I want to be. This bitter jealousy, this bitter envy so easily creeps into our lives. And you know what? It brings along a friend. Not only does it just bitter envy, it says, and self-seeking. This word for self-seeking, I really think is better translated selfish ambition. This is the idea of strife and extreme selfishness, which will result in strife with others. The idea is it's working solely for my own gain to meet my gratification at all costs. This is the natural bent of all men, to live in a way that pleases me. We love ourselves so well. And as I have said before, and I will say again, in order to love other people, we do not need to learn to love ourselves. We already do that very well. And so, if we give in to our bitter envy towards others, it will further motivate us to do what we need to do to get what we want for ourselves. And if this is the way we live, James says, let us not boast and lie about our wisdom. He says, if you have bitter envy and you have self-seeking, selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This word boast, um, it's really interesting. Um, as is not, not uncommon, words that were used in one way in, in common everyday vernacular are not always used in the same context within Scripture. So the word boast was actually, um, in, in everyday life in James's day, that Greek word for boast had very positive connotations. Because it's the idea of self-glorying, of, of being arrogant. And again, it's, it's kind of the way natural man thinks. Hey, go out there and, and toot your own horn. Hey, if you've got it, flaunt it. Let people know, right? And, and do we see that? We still see that today in our world, right? Uh, the athlete, hey, sell yourself, man. You know, you're, you're good. Tell people you're good, right? The businessman, hey, look at all these things I've accomplished. This is what I'm worth. The parent, hey, look at all the things I've done for you. Show a little gratitude around here. We, we begin to up ourselves up, right? And though it's very positively used in the world, James uses it in a very negative way way, a very negative connotation here. Don't do that, he says. This arrogant, selfish wisdom is lying against what true wisdom is. That which is wrong and sinful always attacks that which is true and right. And James says when these motivations reside in our hearts, when we begin to look at our lives and we begin to see this selfish ambition coming into our hearts. We begin to see this, this bitter envy of other people creeping into our lives. Then we can't walk around and say, oh yeah, we're, we're wise. We're wise in the things of God because we're allowing things into our heart that don't please God. We're living in a way that doesn't honor Him. And we're embracing 
worldly wisdom. And, and what we see in worldly wisdom, we see several different characteristics of it. And I'm not going to cover those today. Because I know we'd all like to get lunch today at a decent time. But let's just, so let's just put a pin in that. And we'll come back to it. But let's walk away today with this thought, with these things. God calls us to live in the wisdom of him. That's his expectation. If you're going to know Jesus Christ as your savior, you have to have the wisdom of God in your life. You have to have, this is what God says. I am a sinner. I cannot save myself. I am in need of a savior. To apply that to our lives is to embrace that truth. To run to Christ. If we're going to live, if we know the Lord and Savior, we're going to live in a way that honors and glorifies him, then we have to apply that same wisdom. That God says we are to live meekly. We are to live not not, not flaunting ourselves, not, not power out of control, but power under control of the things of God. And we need to examine our hearts before the Lord and ask him, God, what is it that I need to change? What is it I need to do to become more like you? And I said it earlier as we were praying, but it, but it is true. Be careful asking that question. Because if you ask that question, God will give you an answer. Praise the Lord who'll give us an answer. We don't want to be left to ourselves to just kind of grope around in the darkness and, well, I don't really know which way is up. And then understand that when God gives us an answer, he also, and shows us what's wrong, he also shows us how to make it right. He also shows us what we need to do from the word of God. And so I would just challenge us to this end today. As we begin to, to, un, to, to open up what worldly wisdom is, we'd ask God to examine our own hearts and ask him, hey God, are we living in a way that's consumed with you, or are we living in a way that's consumed with ourselves? Are we living in a way that that we want to grow and change, or are we looking, living in a way that we want other people to grow and change? Are we living in a way that, that, that we want to give all honor and praise to you, or are we give, living in a way that gives honor and glory to me? God so often works in spite of our sin. If you're here on Wednesday nights, we're going through the book of Genesis, and we've hit Genesis chapter 30, and uh, we've really begun to see, sometimes with horror, the things that are going on in the life of Jacob. God worked in spite of Jacob. Why? Because God made the promise to Abraham that he would fulfill it. But how much greater our lives would be if God worked with us and not in spite of us? If God used us because we were willing and submissive to him. To see him change us. And I don't know where you are in life. I, I don't know every little detail about your, your life. So whatever it is that, that God may be wrestling with you about, that, God, that you are wrestling with God about, that you are trying to hold on to, may I encourage you and implore you to give it to him. And if you need help, if you're caught in something in your own life, in a sin, and you say, I don't know, I don't know which way it's up, there's help and hope from the word of God. And more than that, there's help and hope here at Beaverton Baptist Church. 
not because of who we are, but because of what God has allowed us to, to offer through his word. And if that's something that you would like to talk more about and something you're wrestling with and struggling with, I'd love to, 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 to show you from the word of God how you can find hope and victory. My wife would love to do the same. And understand that we can always run to Christ and we can find the answers therein. Father, thank you for the opportunity we had to open your word today and study it. Lord, thank you that you give us not just a very real picture of who we are. Because, Lord, if we're honest, um, we're not really good at giving ourselves a realistic picture of who we are. We like to make ourselves look better than we are. We like to smooth things over and, and make people think we're okay. Sometimes we make ourselves think we're okay. Lord, you know us as we truly are. Lord, would you not leave us alone? Would you keep hammering away at the stone hard-heartedness of our heart? Would you show us who you want us to be? Would you show us how much you love us and care for us and want to change us? Lord, would you show those one who, who doesn't know you as Savior that the first step in that is to come to know you personally. To be saved from an eternity separated from God and given new life to live for you on this earth. We just ask that this would be the cry of our hearts that you would help us to reflect you to others. We ask for a safety as we travel home today in the weather that you would um, bring us back here tonight to worship you. In your name we pray. Amen.